Every day we hoistle in at Pilots and Pick Tots Podcast. Welcome to the Pilots and Batards podcast. This is Drew. I am the pragmatic cyclops of this podcast. And I'm Jimbo, the anti-millennial, non-conforming, existentialist pilot critic, and Kenny of the podcast. I'm the motherfucking magical Miss Mo, master of pilots, nobos, and spoilers. Damn right. This is the podcast with nothing much to do about aircrafts and potentially everything to do with first episodes of a filmic series. A disclaimer, listeners. Petard is a word. It is a real word. And petards are bombs. You know, look it up. Read your Shakespeare. Hamlet is good. Macbeth is better. But Hamlet is still good. We will be tackling mostly new series each Monday. Follow our blog. Participate in our pre-recording discussions. Part one will be spoiler-free. Mo. Part two, we're going to let Mo free. She's going to run spoiler wild. And we're going to dive deeper into the pilot. Part three, we're going to step outside of the pilot and tackle any dangling threads of interest. And part four is normally the fun part. It's going to be a little less fun tonight, but stick around. <laughs> oh, intrigue. We are a member of the But Why Though Podcast Network. If you want to see any other podcasts by them, go to butwhythoughpodcast.com. And we would like to thank But Why Though for this ad-free listening. If you would like to sponsor a show so all our listeners can enjoy ad-free listening, contact us. And one more thing, we got a big old fuck you to Crooked Media. Fuck you and fuck your crooked piece of shit ads. Fuck your Quip electric toothbrush. <laughs> fuck you for a lot of things. If you wanted to contact us to sponsor a show or slander a rival or start a um, feud with a much more popular podcast network, we are totally down to do that. The Ringer, I'm also looking at you. <laughs> contact us. We are available for purchase. What are we watching today, Mo? So, listeners, you're going to join us today as we cast judgment on and determine if the dystopian, gender-oppressive horror of a drama, Handmaid's Tale, will be hoisted or not hoisted. As always, that is the question. Nice. I think it looks like all of us have a bit of a background with this show. I was going to just briefly give a little novel background. This this was a, first a novel written by Margaret Atwood. We're going to get back to her in part three. And she wrote this novel in 1985. From what I found, it's kind of a product of the Roe versus Way kind of women's right over their body issue. Wade. Wade, sorry. Roe versus Wade. So Roe versus Wade did determine, does the uh, privacy amendment cover women's um, issues like women's health? But do either of you know the other major decision that it uh, it created? Roe v. Wade? Women's right to choose? Yep, but besides women's right to choose. Why don't you just tell us? Uh, it is the best way to cross a river. I don't get it. Roe Ro v. Wade. <laughs> Sorry, my dad told me that joke. Thanks. Okay, Thank blow you. your joke. Thanks, Steve. I like how I like how you set it up as like a real thing, though. Like you were gonna you like show us up like that. You're smarter than us. <laughs> that was fun for me. Thanks. Okay, so the background on this one. Um, I watched the first two episodes of this show, and then I read the book. Um, because the first two episodes were really good, but I also like was watching this and reading this within like probably like, three months of my child being born. So some aspects of this show were like horrifying to me then, and still somewhat horrifying to me now. Um, Mo, what about your background? I love the show. I believe I started watching it after a few episodes in just for a lack of time and I'm all caught up. I live for it. So good. I will add, I've watched random episodes of season one and two. I've watched it with Mrs. Nomalous, but I haven't watched it in order. So I kind of know stuff, but I have, I don't know all the details. 
And so now we're going to move into a two-sentence summary. And this pilot just has so much going on. But June is a handmaid for a high-ranking commander in a dystopian future America plagued by civil war and environmental pollution. And infertility. And infertility. That's, that's one of the results of that environmental pollution. Will June be able to stay strong and reunite with her daughter? Stay tuned to find out if you should give a steaming pile of crap. Part 1. This is a spoiler-free highs, lows, and evaluation of the quality of the pilot, so welcome to part one of the podcast. Hoistlers, high points, low points in between. Mo, why don't you start us off? And a little foreshadowing, it looks like we have some high lows and some low highs. Oh, Shrek breath, you hear that? (laughs) I have two, and so the first high in general that is appropriate for part one is I think the cinematography of the show (laughs) is really beautiful and well done, I think. The use of colors and images to both tell story and convey that both tell a story and use symbolism with just in one episode. I feel like the directors and camera people and everyone that contributed to this episode did a good job at setting up what is this world and what is going on. Then I'll move on to my next point. I guess it's like the cinematography and the writing do that really well. It's like uncomfortable to watch. I don't know how you all felt the the language of this dystopian world. And can I talk? I hate this part. I want to talk no, that's about that. Uh, you said we'll exactly what you were going to So I just really yeah. like the writing and the, and the colors. And obviously everyone knows the handmaids wear red capes. And it's always juxtaposed with certain backgrounds. And it's just great. Bland colors. and I would definitely say it. I mean, it's not a spoiler to say that like this pilot takes place like with some flashbacks in it. And I think what the pilot does really well is it has a very specific color palette for the locations. Like some of the flashbacks are a little bit grittier. You know, they're more relatable to like what we might think of as present day. And the colors are kind of muted, like almost like a gray. It's a little bit dreary. But then the present day, like when the narrative is taking place, like with the handmaids and stuff, like all the colors are bright. Everything is very clean, you know, and everything is very orderly. But, you know, as you said, Mo, that kind of juxtaposes with like, how uncomfortable everything is, you know, like there's just this layer of tension um, that surrounds like everything in the present day, like with the handmaids, having that combined with like everything being clean just kind of makes you think that there's something like a little bit rotten underneath the surface. Jimbo, what did you think about the cinematography? I'm surprised that wasn't a MVP from for one of us, because that I think is that's not my most valuable part in my personal opinion, but I think that's the strongest part of the pilot. And it's coupled with just really great writing. What about the writing? Can you can you talk about the writing without saying what the writing? Like Alias Grace did the, this too, where when a series or a movie is based on a book, you can tell. I, I haven't read the book, so maybe Jimbo, you can speak to this. But you can when when the main character has her little soliloquies or her mental thoughts without speaking them aloud, it it feels like it's very much inspired and pulled from this book, which. I assume is well written. <laughs> if they're taking from the book, it, it is well written because I liked it. The book and the in the pilot are are quite different, and maybe we could talk about that a little bit in part two. So then, maybe just the writing in general and the adaptation of of the book is really well done. I would say we could give the directors probably some credit. The use of internal monologue—it's just another layer of storytelling that, when used well and combined with good nonverbal acting, you know, just like kind of deepens 
the drama and deepens like your relationship with the character. And I think that in this like repressive story where people can't say how they truly feel, you know, that like Elizabeth Moss, the main character, I mean, I assume that they were working from a script. So she must have known what was supposed to be playing like while she was thinking those things. But I'd be very interested to see what the director did. Like, did they record Moss reading those lines and then play them back to her so she could react to it? Did the director read those out? Either way, it was a great combination of like storytelling with the director and the shots with Elizabeth Moss's reactions. And then also, yeah, you're right with the writing and with the things she said. With the topic of this show being so heavy, those internal monologues or the writing in general does have a nice balance of keeping it light when it needs to be light. Internal monologue can be really corny, like Sex in the City. So I think it just does a good job of keeping it keeping watchers from just wanting to throw themselves out of the window from seeing so much horror. I didn't think the internal monologue was as good as Alias Grace, but I don't think it was bad. Yeah, Alias Grace was more, like, poetic. Yeah, definitely. The internal monologue does have some lightheartedness. I guess that's, I don't know, I'm not sure how I felt about that. I I think it, for me, it kind of conflicted with the tone more than added, like like, a break. I think I know specifically which comments you're referencing, Jimbo, but I think those are kind of character-defining moments where, like, I I have read the book, and I, I agree that I think that, like, the pilot is different in some regards, but I think that it's a necessity of the storytelling. Like, this is depressing AF, you know, and I think some aspects of, like, the internal monologue kind of keep us engaged and don't let us, like, get too down about it. Because, like, imagine if there was no internal monologue in this pilot. Like, it could have been still been the pilot. I just think that we would have had a much weaker connection with um, the main character. I think there's one scene where it really turns it around, and we don't need the internal monologue. But we can maybe talk about that a little bit more in part two. So for me, I saw that there was two openings. The first opening I hated. It was everything I hate about film. This is not this is barely a spoiler, but it's like a stupid accident. Like in, for any horror movie, you have a stupid accident. You're running away when you know you're going to get caught. They draw everything out. They're hiding under the log like in Lord, Lord of the Rings. And like it's just every little thing about it. I just hated it. Like drawn out suspense. And that whole opening scene, we didn't even need. The second opening scene, I loved. The show should have started there. If I was in charge, I would have cut that first opening because this show was too long for me as well. Since I'm ranting a bit, it was too long and I hate the suspense. The show was 54 minutes. That bears mentioning. I think it was, it said 57. It, it said 50, but I think that's including the credits. But man, it, I was oh, just like. I didn't watch the credits. But I mean, still, 54 minutes is a long time. The credits always have great music, though. I always listen to it. High point. During the credits, Handmaids always has covers and adapted old school songs, you know, or modern songs in an old setting. Uh, it is long. I'll give you that. I don't think that like any of the scenes necessarily could be replaced or take the place of other scenes. Let me toss this out there. Okay. Okay, go ahead. No, get in there, Jimbo. I think it felt more like a movie. I feel like they were like it was they were developing a lot of stuff going on in the first episode, almost like it was going to be a two-hour movie. They don't have to develop all that stuff in the first episode. Like we just need enough to be interested in it, and I think we could stay really close to the character. We don't need to know everything about her daughter or her husband or her best friend. We don't need to know all that in the first episode. So I think they were trying to do too much for me. And it it drew the, it drew the pilot out. It took away from my from my viewing experience. Are you sure it wasn't just cuz you had to watch it fast before it be recorded? You know, okay. So disclaimer, hoisters, <laughs> we were supposed to record tomorrow. Yeah, my bad. 
and I hadn't watched the episode yet, and I watched it right before recording. So I there was definitely part of me wanted to get it over with so I could prep. So that I guess well, I should let's pull back the curtain. That. Jimbo is the one who most um, frequently will watch a pilot twice. And Jimbo, to be fair, <laughs> oftentimes you soften quite a bit on the second viewing. Depends on the show. Mm, it does. Which it show does have we watched where? Which show have we watched where you soured on the second viewing? Wonderfalls. I actually liked Wonderfalls a lot more the first one. Okay. I feel like there's a lot where... Well, you know what? You answered quickly, so... Altered Carbon okay. didn't get any better on the second viewing. Mm, yeah, we talked about <laughs> You want me to keep going? Uh, okay, give me one more. Alex Inc. definitely didn't get any better on the second oh, viewing. Oh, gross. But you didn't like it the first yeah, time. Yeah, show was bad. <laughs> yeah, you didn't like it the first time. I'm just saying, it didn't get any better. <laughs> that's 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 what we're talking about here. I feel like there's a lot of shows where you soften a little bit. Like, there you'll are. Fill out, the good ones. Okay. That's my point. <laughs> All right. We'll see. Okay. But just, it's, it's worth noting. It's worth noting that you guys are wrong. Thank you. <laughs> All right. There we go. <laughs> so um, I'll say this. I have one more high point I want to throw out there. Um, now, I think that the violence in um, this pilot was very stylized and very uncomfortable without being gory. Um, there were, like, scenes and, like, depictions of violence that – I'll give it to you, Jimbo. It bordered like, goriness, it, though. Uh, it bordered goriness, but I don't think it entered the gory territory. No, I think it just, not. I think it added to – It was, to, like, right I think there, though. Some, like, it was almost there. Yeah, but, I mean, I, to me, that that's the most uncomfortable. Displaying the goriness – but in a way that's normal of this of the society that we're watching. Because if it went, if it went too extreme, then it would be unbelievable. But because it's like tasteful, I guess would tasteful even be the right way. But I just think they do it in a way that it's casual. Well, maybe sanitized. Maybe the ways it's sanitized. Like they've made the violence very official. Like they've made it a part of like the everyday life, which makes it horrifying. Yeah, because there's nothing tasteful about the images they showed. I get, yeah, sanitized. There you go. Where, yeah, casual this and that, walking down the river. I do have a few high points that I haven't brought up yet. And I'll say they compounded a ton of feminist issues just on top of just issues with oppressive governments and orthodoxy religion. Or I'm not sure if that's the right term, but like religious. What's what's the word I'm looking for, Drew? Indoctrination. Indoctrination, sure. And then I also really appreciated that almost all the characters besides one are somewhat sim sim are easily to sympathize with, I guess. Like you can sympathize with almost every single character besides I would say one. And I think that's a strength. And then my last and then my last point too is this is a story about the oppression of women and the cast is almost all women. Like we barely have any men on screen. And this is like the exact opposite of the Bechtel test. I don't there was not I don't know if there was two men talking about anything to each other. So like that's very cool as well. While still getting the point across that men are dominating everything. Let's come back to that in part two, because I'm not convinced that that's true. With spoilers? Okay, well then let's jump in MVPs. Um, and my MVP was alluded to just a little bit in terms of what Mo and I spoke about with like the societal horror. And I think that the MVP is kind of like how the flashbacks demonstrate this like very slow societal like slide into fascism. You know, like... There's not, like, just the past and then just the future where things are shitty. It's, like, just this slow dribble of information until, you know, it's accepted that these horrible things are happening. And then the veneer with which they institute this new society is what's, like, really horrifying. Because, like, you know, I think that, like, some horror movies are scary because they're fantastical. But some horror movies are scary because they're realistic. 
you know, and I think this one falls more in, into the side of like, if we had this horrible patriarchal society, it wouldn't happen overnight. It would happen slowly over time. What do you guys think? I agree. And it it leaves a level of intrigue. Like, how did it get to this point? I thought there was an overuse of flashbacks, but but what the flashbacks did did provide uh, about that slow kind of that, that slow shift like that was effectively done I, I i don't think we needed that many flashbacks to do that but it definitely did that and it just made things relatable watching people do things that we do and we think are normal and then next thing you know they're you're punished for doing those things or you're trapped like that's the other thing too like we talked about it on the show before like societal power i think is still like a, a big illusion you know like the reason that I own this house is like a piece of paper on a computer. Like practically speaking, like if a society broke down, this would be my house for as long as I could defend it. So like the thing is the veneer between society and chaos is really, really, really thin if you get right down to it, you know, and like society is like the thing that's like holding us back from chaos. So people might hold on to it for longer than might be like beneficial for them because the alternative would be scary too. All right. We're at, we're at 20 minutes for part one guys. I know that doesn't include that we didn't start part I'm one at zero, saying. but okay. Get your MVP out there then, Mo. I can't explain why she's my MVP without spoilers. Mo's MVP is June, and she likes June because she's the focal point of the story that Mo is just really into. And Mo can't speak for herself because of her spoiler nature. I have a hard time. I can't say in general everyone knows who the actress is that plays June. I don't. It's Elizabeth Moss. And she just does an incredible job. Yeah, that's perfect, Mo. That's that's how you tell an MVP without spoiling something. I know, but I just, I feel like we need to move the MVP section to part two. I'm open to that, but we can discuss it as a team. Shop talk. I'm shop talking as we go. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, Shrek Breath. That's, that's a little preview. <laughs> there you go. And Mo, I, I agree. Um, There are some like moments of like silent horror that she does she plays really well that closing scene won me over how about you jimbo that second opening references the book very strongly and the, my favorite parts and i i'm only a few chapters into the book but my favorite parts of the introduction to the book are in that opening scene and so that's my mvp so that second o opening where she's already fully dressed she's just in, in her room she's talking about a bunch of symbols that that are all in the book and she gives this quote that was my favorite quote from from the book. And she talks about how the glass is shatterproof, but it's not shatterproof because they, because you're going to escape. You can't escape. It's shatterproof because they don't want you to kill yourself. And I just love that. In fact, since we're talking about I'm just going to read it. She says, uh, it's those other escapes, the ones you can open in yourself, given a cutting edge. Yeah, it's a great MVP. All right, Hoisters. And so now, the moment before, the moment we've all been waiting for, are we going to rewatch this series based off of today's viewing and mo has all caps what's it going to be mo okay well now i'm rethinking it because i'm i'm super caught up on this show and i remember things well uh i actually watched this first episode with my dad so if he started rewatching it i might i might dabble and watch it with him so okay so i will say so but you're definitely going to continue with with the series can't wait for the next season i would count that so you know so mo's in drew this is so intense. Like, I'm watching Bachelor in Paradise. Ew. Screw it. This makes your brain into mush. Judgy. 
True, you should keep that to yourself, man. Come on, we're trying to get new <laughs> listeners. What? I I am so excited. I can't wait for us. To, I want us to do a reality television pilot so bad. <laughs> you guys keep fighting me. <laughs> we can do The Office. This is so intense. Like, uh, I'm... I watch legit movies and like I'm reading like two or three books right now. Like, ah, this is so depressing. I think it's a very good show. I'm not sure I'm going to watch it. I probably won't. Um, I watched another two episodes of This Close. I, I skipped to the last one. What? Oh, fun. Oh, shit. I need to cancel it. <laughs> I know. I need to cancel it tonight, too. So you can tell us what happens in the last episode in Shop Talk Mo. I got an extra 30 days. If if you guys need it, I'll share my password with you. I do want to share yours. Okay, cool. Are you going to watch Chimbo? I am going to finish the book. I'm really into the book. I think I think because the book is all inside of one character's head, and that's I'm more interested in the story from, from June's perspective. The show does a lot more, and it's I think most Americans would prefer to watch the show than read, read the book, but not me. I really like the book. I will only watch the show if Mrs. Nomalous is watching it, so, but she's not that into it either. We kind of, like I said, we just randomly watch it sometimes when we don't have anything else to watch. And we usually are like playing cards at the same time. So we're barely even watching. <laughs> that sounds depressing. No, it's awesome, dude. Like, I watch random Rick and Morty when I'm bored. Not <laughs> Handmaids isn't really the best background show. All right. All right. So, so the moment you've been waiting for to hoist or not to hoist. That is the question. I mean, it's obvious I'm not hoisting this one. Yeah, this is a very strong not hoist for me too. Like my low points were procedural at best. So I I give Jimbo that. I think that like or the first like scene, not not mega necessary, but in no way, shape, or form is that going to put this anywhere near hoist territory. So I think it's going to come down to Jimbo and whether or not he's hoisting or not hoisting. And here he comes back. We had a great conversation and we didn't really find any real low points. This is a very solid not hoist. The pilot episode of Handmaid's Tale is not hoisted. All right, now, listeners, the meat of our show. You can go ahead and skip to this part. Part two. We're going to spoil everything in this section. We will spoil everything in this section. That's true. <laughs> part two, where we get really down and dirty with the pilot and all the spoilers. So we'll start with our Crabman Award. Hey, girl. Hey, Crabman. Yeah, Mo, for, for new listeners, what's Crabman Award? Crabman, Crab Lady, Crab X, Crab Dog, whatever, is the person in the pilot episode that contributes much more to the to the plot than they take. Yep, usually a a small role, not a recurring character, um, definitely not a main character. And um, Mo, it looks like on the show notes we're going crabless for you. So you want to explain this crablessness? Explains itself, man. <laughs> I just know the show too well. <laughs> so I know all the characters, the eventual things that they contribute to the show. So I know too much to, to pick a crab man or crab lady. I would almost agree with Mo. I think that the the show is pretty efficient in not throwing in people we don't need. And that's typically like crab man is kind of like one one of those characters that you don't really need, but like they do something really great for for the, for the show. And so my crab woman is going to be Bila. Bila? Bila. The handmaid from Genesis. She paves the way for this whole society to function. In Genesis as in the Bible. The Bible. The uh, narrative of Jacob. It's actually chapter chapter 30, verses 1 through 
one let's say one through eight. Jimbo, you wanna hit you wanna hit the listeners with a verse? Is this the one that the commander says before he I think he reads like the first three or four. Okay, Jacob became very angry with Rachel and said, Am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Then she said, this is Rachel, Here is my maid, Bila, go into her, that she may bear upon my knees, and that I too may have children through her. So she gave him her maid, Bila, as a wife, and Jacob went to her. That's a good that's a good crab lady. Crab rapey? Crab rapey. Yeah, should I cut that one? Is that is that is that too uh distasteful, Drew? Hey, I mean uh it seems if at least non consensual, at least to be an imbalance of power. So I would say consent yeah. is yeah, if you can. For that sure. But it is powerful. I have a character from the show. Um and it's a very small moment, but I think it reveals a lot about how kind of the patriarchal system like traps the women and i like how jimbo called out that it's an all-female cast but that you know there's still like a lot of oppression that you can see and i think that's a very powerful thing one of the more powerful aspects of like the creepiness and uncomfortableness of the show and it's kind of shown when the handmaids always have to be with each other like there's always like one handmaid next to you and you don't know them well so it's always creepy yeah they're spies they're spying on each other exactly and then this one time they're all in the grocery store and this one handmaid is talking to three other handmaids, and she's like, you can ask for oranges. Like, Commander Waterford is an important person. Like, I heard da 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 He's like, I, like, he's doing this and this and this. And then they all look at her, and they're like, you're saying way too much, Rando. And she's like, I didn't read it. And then just, like, the, like, all of the pieces falling together in her head and just the existential dread on her face is, like, so much worse than like when you say something you regret in front of a bunch of people and mm-hmm. then you go back and marinate on it. That's just like her look and her feeling in that moment is like, oh, fuck, times like 10,000. We can all relate to that, like saying something stupid and you embarrass yourself in front of like your, your wife's new friend. This is like you just got yourself yeah. killed or sent Life to the colonies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like that's that's the look on her face. And then she's like, who do I trust? I can't trust any of these people. Like she's more trapped like in the open than ever before. Like it was just. It's not like mega, you know, blockbuster acting, but I think it really opens up the story and the horror. Like, that's a legit crab maid. Yeah, I think so. I like I like Bila though, but yeah, she does something. If I had to choose an actor, I would agree with with Drew, but I think our crab bi- biblical maid is going to be Bila. Crab biblical figure. Well, then I think I think it's going to come down to Mo. Are you still crabless on this one, or if we swayed you? True, you didn't jump over to my side, man. Eh, not really. I still like mine. It's good acting and storytelling. Come on, man. She paves the road for this whole story, dude. This story doesn't exist. The only reason I would argue against her is, Jimbo, there's so many other moments where Bible verses get thrown out there. I'm not giving it to the verse. I'm giving it to the character. That's tough. Half and half. Split, but I'm going to stay crabless. Mo, it's not a participation trophy. I like the Bible one, only because it... it it sparked something inside of me. Okay. Split decision. I'm taking All right, it. Dennis. All right, Hoisters. By split decision, the crab made from the handmaid's tail is going to Bila or Bila. And now we're going to dive into Mo's favorite part that she's just been dying for. She's getting, you know, anxious over there. She can barely keep herself <laughs> together. We are going to dive into the plot, the characters, character motivations, whatever. I, I got a decent amount to talk about we definitely talked about 
are men in charge? And that was one that we referenced in, in part one. And, and so let's start there. Are the men really in charge, at least from what we know in this pilot episode? Because I would argue that Aunt Lydia is really the only character that definitely has a lot of power. I would say that the commander seems to be just following through with the norms and not really wanting to do it. Like, I don't think that's the way he wants to live his life. At least, at least I'm not convinced that he wants to live his life that way. There's a scene that's pretty powerful when it's towards the end when June comes home from her trip and everyone's setting up for what seems like a bunch of powerful men meeting in a room and Commander Waterford goes in and kind of leaves his wife Serena in the dust and she just kind of stares at the door and watches it close in front of her and I think that sets the tone and that was supposed to make us as watchers understand that men are ruling everything it doesn't matter how high up these women are made to think they are but that i mean that is just serena but serena is also in a position of power and aunt lydia's role is just to be a brute abuser and scare these girls into submission is that power no i'm just wondering like it would that be power because to me i think it's the kind of chain of command you just do whatever your ranking officer tells you to do i don't see serena really having much power at all she has more power than june and the commander definitely has more power than her he obviously has power within within the society but i i I don't feel like he has complete agency over his life i guess so in that case he definitely has power to me it looks like aunt lydia is the most powerful character that 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 we meet in the first in the first um episode and maybe she even has more power than the commander I mean, I would push back and say that I don't think anyone has agency, and I think that's part of, like, the message of the story. I I perceive Lydia as having a, a, quite a bit of, like, institutional power, but if you, like, look in the background of the scenes, like, men are the ones with guns, you know, and men seem to be the ones who exert the physical power, and then even when, like, all the handmaids, you know, kill that guy at the very end, they're still surrounded by men in like towers with guns yeah so i mean i would say i think lydia has the most agency of all the people as a character i think she's a lot of agency but i mean i would think in the framework of the story no one has like complete autonomy what do you think i would agree with that she does have a taser does she really buy into all that like is she like is she like a pope type figure where where she influences policies and she's putting in policies that are going to keep her in power. I mean, I don't know if we ever get to know that. Mo, you want to jump in? Can I talk about future episodes, right? This is open, right? Yeah, go for it, man. Spoiler. They've been warned. Go ahead, man. This is spoiler, spoiler zone. Well, just, I mean, I won't say too much, except that Aunt Lydia does end up being like a threat to Serena in that she is allowed to do certain things like read and write. And Serena isn't allowed to do that. Oh, interesting. So it's interesting that you're picking up on that just from this pilot episode. I think that says a lot about the powerful storytelling in this pilot because you picked up on it perfectly, Jimbo. She's a threat to women like Serena. But is she in a position of power? No, because she doesn't resist what the men are saying is the norm. She's not any kind of she's not resisting at all. But does but does she have to resist it if she can gain power by being compliant? But I would say that she gains power by oppressing other women. No, of course. I mean, that's how everyone gets power. 
but I'm saying that plays in the patriarchal system. You know, so the thing is, is she empowered if the way that she is empowered, like explicitly calls for oppressing many other women? Like, right. She's not resisting. Yeah, no, that's true. She's a tool that gets more benefits. Wouldn't that be like a greater indicator of the system that we do see? We see like no men explicitly enforce this system like we see like in the first scene some guys running them down with guns and then we see guys with guns in the background but like isn't that an indication of the power of like the system that like they've gotten women to do the work and oppress each other and build a distrust amongst each other it's like hegemony right where people that are submissive to the dictators don't even question their their authority out of fear or out of thought that serving their own interests by serving the interests of people that are higher than them and I think Aunt Lydia is convinced, they've like convinced her enough that she's self-serving when really she's just doing whatever all these powerful men want her to do. She's great. And that actress went, won an Emmy for her role as well. You hate, she's a character you hate. <laughs> you hate her, right? She's doing her job. Yeah, she's doing her job. <laughs> she, you hate her so much. Oh my God, she's so nasty. She's horrible. But wait, how do we even start talking about Aunt Lydia? Oh yeah, is she empowered? So uh, we answer that question. So men are definitely in charge. Men are definitely in charge. I mentioned I haven't read the whole book, but but I did read some some comparisons. And it seems like the pilot episode tackles like every major scene of the book in the first episode. Oh, wow. So you have her losing her daughter. You have, oh, I guess there's at least one other one that's that's maybe not in the first episode. But you have her losing her daughter, losing her husband, getting raped, and killing someone like those are like four huge moments that I guess you don't find out. And Drew, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but you don't find those out until later in the book. I would say yes, I agree because I have watched the first three episodes and I've read the book, and so you know I can't speak to like the last seven episodes. But I will say this: the second episode contains like for me, as you guys may have noticed, like the most horrific things in this show are like the down to earth things that could happen, and like you know are scarier than like. I don't know, psycho mutants coming out of the sewers and shit. And I would say the scene that is in the second or third episode that's also in the book about the woman in the grocery store stealing her child. Yeah, that okay, so that was the one that, that, that hasn't happened yet. Yeah, that's a later scene, and it's also just fucking horrific. So I would say they do hold a little bit back for a little bit later. So you get like maybe four or five, Drew. That's a lot, man. Well, I mean, I can understand it's their pilot. They gotta shoot their shot, you know, like... Are your people going to come back? Not Jimbo, but other people maybe. Not Drew. <laughs> There's people in Handmaid's Tales outfits going to Kavanaugh's hearing. Like, I mean, we're we're getting into dangling threads territory here, but like, I understand that this is a resistance book, but it's still like, do, do I need to watch this fictionally when it's on fucking C-SPAN? What What do you want to tackle, Mo? Who do you want to cover, Mo? You you were you were chomping at the spoiler bit, so get in there. What do you want to talk about? I mean, June was my MVP because I thought she, with, within one episode, she has a nice trajectory of going from what you think is this broken, submissive woman to after hearing all her internal dialogue and then connecting with off Glenn, you realize like this bitch is not, she's only, sur she's strictly about survival and she's not about to give in to anything but finding her daughter. Like she's not giving into shit. She does like three quarters of the hero's journey in the first episode. <laughs> Wait, what are the parts of the hero's journey again? Depending on which, which format you follow, there's, you know, anywhere from like seven to 21 stages. She does a lot of them. 
Yeah, and I'll say this, like, um, that that ending of the first episode is not in the book. I think she's optimistic in the book, though. She, like, like this was my thing. Her her motivation, the thing that makes her a strong character is that she wants to see her daughter again. I think that's in the book, isn't it? I Like, I think she establishes that early in the book. It is, but, I mean, it's, there's, there's to me, there's kind of a different narrative feel in terms of, like, how the story is told. Because, like, the thing that I like about the book and the thing that I, I really am drawn to in the pilot is there's this part in night by ellie wiesel who's a holocaust survivor and people don't necessarily consider like how to like what extreme humans will go to like survive and to like thrive and go on the scene that people tend to remember is that like on a train going to a concentration camp like the nazi guards like throw rinds of bread into the um like into the train cars and wiesel like describes a father and a son fighting each other like for those rinds of bread and so i think like the aspects of this show that really show the extreme measures to which people will that people will do to survive to see the next day to hope that something will get better is something that like this show did really really well and i think like we talked about a possible crab maid of like the handmaid who like gets her eye cut out and like the transformation she goes through and like i think that's like that type of horrifying characterization like speaks to like the darkest parts of humanity as being real you know and like when we talk about like kanye being like slavery seems like a choice where like that makes me think he doesn't understand like the horrors of oppression that time yeah so i mean i think the show like did a good job of characterizing the horrors of humanity and the lengths to which people will go to survive one thing my my dad turned to me and he said would you want to live if you were in her position and i feel like this show constantly makes you be like I would have tried to kill myself so many times if I was stuck in this world. You don't have a daughter. I don't. To call you out, but like not to be a dick. Personally, we yeah, I can't relate directly as in what June is feeling. But this show in general, you're like, I wouldn't blame this person if they threw themselves out a window right now. She can't. Shatterproof. <laughs> exactly. Which makes it more depressing. But anyway, what were you going to say, Jimbo? Back to Drew's thing. Like, if you read about, you know... Russia, China, in any of these places that had these just extremely oppressive, you know, regimes, the good people are the first ones to die. Like anyone that's a good person is going to die first because they're not going to steal food. They're not going to hurt other people and they're going to die first. And the people that survive are the ones that are willing to do the unthinkable and the unbearable. And you know what? That's June. She's one of them. She's so double faced. And I love that, too. She puts on a little smile, but also sticks it to Serena, even the way she just peered into Serena's soul seeing her be shut out of her husband's whatever inner circle she peered through she saw right through her or when she said the comment about getting tuna to test the waters with the uh the driver she's like let's see if i can get away with it you already saw me break the rules once and you didn't say anything so and back to you know the motivation i think if it wasn't for her daughter you would see a completely different character so like that's her whole purpose like that's what keeps her strong and keeps her playing the game what I think separates the opening scene, Jimbo, because, like, in a way, yeah, I can agree with it, but, like, I think the way they shot it with, like, June running away and her daughter, f- like, facing and seeing the people pursuing her and then her daughter saying something, I think it adds a dimension of, like, the existential dread that, like, pushes it a little bit above, like, a typical horror genre fiction thing, because, like, that grounds the whole show in. But we don't need that in the first episode. She references her daughter enough. Um, I think it's a judgment call. I mean, I think... I think it could have been placed differently 
at a different time. Like it could have been a flashback later, but I think it served as a good purpose because then you understand that she's a mother. You can bring viewers back because they want to find out how or why she lost a daughter. You don't have to, you know, you know, there's just so much in this story. It's so complex. You don't have to get it all out in the first episode, which I'm usually saying the opposite thing. But the only reason I'm saying this this week is because it's a bit long for, for a pilot. To me, that's kind of the only low point, to be honest. Yeah, my other low point is somewhat, it's it's extremely subjective. Moving on to... Most favorite section. The Put It Anywhere Guys, Quest for the Best. And Worst Pilots Ever. On a <laughs> list of 42 pilots, yeah. starting with End of the Fucking World and ending with Buffy. Where is the pilot for Handmaid's Tale going to go? And it's the titled episode, Offred. My starting point is above Better Call Saul, which is number six. Oh my gosh, dude. No way. We can't do that. I'm going to go out there and say I think it's better than The Shield. I mean, I don't know of any other like gender horror dystopian like serialized dramas out there. To what I remember about Better Call Saul is that it was a serious like well-produced drama with a lot of like good characterization and you know a little bit of intrigue i mean if anything looking back better call saul has a really cliche cliffhanger ending um that i don't know why you think that the ending of like handmaid's tale is that different necessarily oh i didn't say the ending was bad better call saul is a really good comparison and then to an to an extent shield because i know that that's an episode that mo watched um, because I think this is like really well produced. It's going for a very specific type of uncomfortableness, which I think is hard to pull off, which is what does like a slide into like fascism really look like? And then I think it pulls off like some realistic stuff. Cause I mean, altered carbon to me is in no way realistic. Like, you know, like you have to make these leaps and whatnot, but I think that what's horrifying about Handmaid's Tale is how realistic it is. And I mean, the shield is like a drama that goes for some realism. So I think that we can examine. I think it needs to go below Killing Eve. Why? I paid. I paid to watch Killing Eve. I can't weigh in on that because I haven't seen it. But it's okay. But just tell us about the shield because the shield is above Killing Eve. How about Wonder Years? How about X-Men? You think it's better than Wonder Years and X-Men? Yes. And My Name is Earl and Killing Eve and the shield. Even you watched the second episode of Killing Eve. I did. And I think this is better than Killing Eve on a couple different levels. Like, what is, I mean, we had, like, long, drawn-out discussions about the politics behind this show. Have you thought about Killing Eve in terms of, like, societal impact in any way, shape, or form since you finished it? Is societal impact one of our criteria for whether a pilot is good or not? The ideas and the themes staying with you and, like, having, like, a really in-depth conversation that could lead to, like, growth or change is important, you know? Like, I think that, like... When a piece of art does that, it demonstrates the power of that art. Whereas if you enjoy something, that's very cool. That's the intent of a lot of pieces of art. But having a deep conversation where like you might change your opinion or you might come to a new understanding, that's very cool and interesting when something does that. Well, Mrs. Nomalous and I both took the psychopathy test uh -huh. after watching Killing Eve, and she's more of a psychopath than me. So that, I mean, that's now I know. <laughs> I could have told you that. Yeah, it's pretty obvious. So you learned something from Killing Eve. I'm tempted to even argue Handmaids to be higher ranked because of the timing of it and the way it landed just after the election and during this time of women's rights being threatened and it being used to spark conversation, like Drew said. 
and even though it's hyperbolic and whatnot, I think that that's an important part. Let's come back to this in in part three as well. So I, I'm tempted to like use that argument the same way Drew did and make it higher up in Quest for the Best because of that. Jimbo, sign off on putting it above the shield. We don't got to put it above number seven. Why is Killing Eve below the shield? That's, I'm a little confused on this one now. It should have gone higher. It's two against one. Dude, what's the lowest you guys can go? Come on, work with me. I was... Um... Dude, I'm telling you, the lowest I'll go is above the shield. Like, that is oh where we have all... Mo, watch more pilots. I told you guys that, like, my feeling is this is better than Better Call, better call Saul. I can compromise and go back two spots and say it's above the shield. This pilot is better than the shield. You got you're, you guys are about to ruin the list, man. I, I felt decent the, ru- about the list this is list. already ruined. To, it's a dumb I'm list. I'm about to give up on this list. This hoisters, this might be the last time we do the quest for the best. Yes, hoisters, please. this is not the last <laughs> time. Do a vote, do please. Come on, the, come on the boards. Vote yes. Yeah, engage vote yes with us. I'm about to make my Q own list. Beat. There you I'll go. Have my own list. <laughs> Opposition and Drew. And Drew will have his imaginary list that Mo deleted that he's never going <laughs> to release to the public until that day comes. This is better than the shield. Hand, yeah, Handmaid's <laughs> Tale, right. new number eight. I like right. how passionate you are about killing you. Good job, man. <laughs> this was the best Q for B we've ever had. Good discussion. Yeah, it is. This isn't the end of this. And it should be. We should leave on a high note. We should end it on a high note, guys. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mo's got an agenda. Okay. <laughs> All right, so it's below the shield and it's above Killing Eve. Yes. No, it's above the shield. No, it's above the shield. It's above the shield. Above the shield. Yes. Don't try to scam us. <laughs> You know what we said. <laughs> so below Dexter and above the shield. I just need to have my notes so I can add it in. Get in there, Mo. All the feedback we've gotten is that Mo needs to throw more elbows. All right. So now we're going to move to part three. And on fo- and following our part two segment is part three, the Stormy Daniels dangling threads of interest. So Drew's done a lot of research, and I wanted to scratch this because I, you know, I, I was getting a little, a little bored with the discussion. It got a bit heated. Drew, Drew yelled at me earlier today on the phone. Disregarded all twenty six text messages that I. <laughs> and Mo hasn't read any of it. <laughs> Mo read none of it. When you look at your phone and there's twenty six missed text messages, you're not going to sit there and read them. And they're long ones too. They're not little ones. It's not. It's not like. It's not like. What would that book again? Drew. Drew did not get heated over ideological differences. Drew got heated because there had been criticism of the show that we don't do research <laughs> and that we should do some research and read some articles. I did, and I wanted my work honored. That's probably a jab at me. No. No. No, Chimbo wanted to scratch it, and I was like, fuck you, I read these articles. <laughs> I was like, and I wanted you to read them too, and when you did, you didn't like what you read. I'll just throw this one out there, and I can summarize it real quickly. Um, Margaret Atwood uh, got in a little hot water with the quote, with the hashtag MeToo movement. Uh, in 2016, she signed a letter with a bunch of other Canadian authors condemning um, a university in British Columbia that suspended and then fired a professor um, after sexual misconduct allegations came to light, the authors had criticized the um, university for not being transparent about its investigation. And then people criticized the authors in turn because they felt that they were not being sympathetic to abuse victims. Many of the people who signed the original letter, including Atwood, added a little note to the end that said, by the way, like we have full sympathy for survivors. And But then Margaret Atwood went on in 2018 
um, basically the headline of her editorial was, am I a bad feminist? And so kind of the crux of it was just, has me too gone too far? That's, that's not how I interpret it. I, I would recommend anyone else to, to uh, read it. Well, tell us, Jimbo. So she got some pushback and people said that she wasn't a feminist and like she turned her back on women. I, so I think part, partially her purpose in writing this, this art, this article, Am I a Bad Feminist? is to defend herself, which I don't think she needs to do, but she did it, it you know, she did. And she did, de- she definitely did some things that, that I would agree with Drew. I mean, she kind of makes references about the French Revolution and Stalin, you know, the Stalin USSR and some definite false equivalences as like a maybe precautionary measure. But when I read it, I see her as saying that women are dividing themselves instead of like sticking together and fighting for women. And so I think that's the ultimate purpose of this article, not that me too movement is stupid or is a witch hunt i don't think that's her real purpose i think what she's saying is that men want to divide women and have them fight against each other so that they can oppress them and that's what she's really wanting whether and she could have maybe done that a little more effectively with her writing but she didn't what do you think mo i do appreciate the theme of this concept of bad feminism what is a perfect feminist what is a good feminist versus a bad feminist and i think what Jimbo's saying is likely her true intention that like, you know, Hey ladies, let's stop being pinned against each other and let's find common ground. But I also think that she, she focuses way too much on the university of whatever British Columbia in her argument. She just focuses way too much on it being an institutional problem and a problem that they didn't do a full investigation and all these like logistical issues, which bothered me i just don't think that should be the conversation at all and that shouldn't be any part of her like defending herself because at the end of the day this guy did he did do inappropriate things and yes he's your friend but the conversation should she should have focused more on the the point that you're talking about jimbo and not so much about defending herself and defending her friend and pinning it on the university which is fair but i don't think that's i don't think that should be what she her focus should be on in this article I'm going to quote her. So, so, so she says the hashtag me too movement is a symptom of a broken legal system. If you continue with that quote, she basically says like, is this the, yeah, but she's like, is this the direction we'll go in? Like, are we going to get rid of laws? Are we going to get rid of these things that get put in place of the mob? And like, yeah, let me continue with the quote. If the legal system is bypassed because it is seen as ineffectual, what will take its place? Who will be the new power brokers? It won't be the bad feminists like me. We are acceptable neither to right nor to left. In times of extremes, extremists win. Their I, their ideology becomes a religion. Anyone who doesn't puppet their views is seen as a apostate, a heretic, or a traitor. And the moderate in the middle are annihilated. Yeah, and I mean, that seems like a really big leap to make. If we listen to Me Too, or if we do give credence to people who walk out or, like, say these things, or even if some people get mad on the internet, like, society is going to get wiped away. Like, I don't think that society and, like, the rule of law is going to get wiped away. I think that a lot of institutions are going to change, and, like, that might be painful for people from, like, an older guard, you know, who might not be used to being criticized or get used to, like, hearing some things. But I do not think in any way, shape, or form, like, Me Too 
is going to like create mobs with pitchforks like wiping away like the rule of law i think that there's like a lot of very interesting things that me too wants to do like including like creating some laws that like really limit non-disclosure agreements which were a tool that people like harvey weinstein used with their financials and to a degree president trump appears to try to be using with stormy daniels at the name of our segment um to silence and to like get rid of like people who would be inconvenient to them in the future so I think that's an example of like a logistical thing that like Me Too is moving towards and not wiping away the rule of law and society in general. I just don't think that's what she's saying. Really? That sounds like she's literally saying that. Well, I mean, what does she mean? The aim of ideology is to eliminate ambiguity. So what does that mean? Is Me Too the ideology of trying to eliminate ambiguity? I don't think that's what she's saying. I also didn't appreciate the way she just opened her op-ed. It's kind of sarcastic and like, oh, I'm such a bad white feminist. Yeah, it is. It's very, it's very sarcastic. Yeah. And she's definitely. It's like, check your privilege, bitch. Like, calm down. Yeah. What it reminds me of is it really reminds me of like Bill Clinton and Al Sharpton and Bernie Sanders and like a lot of people who have been part of a struggle historically, but who might make mistakes now. And it's fine for people to like, be like, hey, like. We appreciate your contribution in the past, but if you said something shitty in 2018, people have the access and the availability through social media to, like, say something about it. And if you don't like it, like, you still have a lot of societal power. Like, I feel like John Lewis is a really great example of, like, people who both contain historical gravitas, but also have adapted and changed with the times a bit, you know, because it feels like he really understands his place in history, but also the way the society is moving. Whereas, like, Bill Clinton and Al Sharpton and um i think some other people bernie sanders especially like during his like campaign like they really wanted to like plant their flag of like activism in the past to like kind of make up for anything they said in the future and i'm kind of like you could do better so this kind of feels like margaret atwood is not used to criticism in terms of like her actions if it deals with feminism and like dude like those people got called out in that letter because it was shitty of them just to advocate for the guy who was getting railroaded by the university because, yeah, the university fucked up. But, like, it seemed like a lot of people, including Atwood, went back and put an addendum on that said, in no way, shape, or form do we want to dismiss victims or make them feel like they can't come out. So, like, I kind of don't understand what the point of this editorial is because the original petition letter did talk about how shitty UMBC was. Yeah, I I agree with that. I I I don't know why she had to do this. Mo, final final word. Let's let's move on. I think Drew and I have have expressed our ourselves. Get in there, Mo. I agree with you both. That th- what's the point of this? Except for her to just defend herself in a way that's pompous and annoying. I think she raises a lot of great points, and I think I appreciate that she closes on the note of. I can read it. A war among women as opposed to a war on women is always pleasing to those who do not wish women well. This is a very important moment. I hope it will not be squandered. I I wish she stuck. I wish she just started with it at the beginning and took out all her other bullshit. And just exaggerating the reality of the situation. Right. It just seemed a little arrogant. And I didn't know who she was until I watched Handmaid's Tale. So she's never really been a feminist role model for me, but she probably isn't a role model for women of color in general. So I just feel indifferent to her and her opinion. She's a literary figure too. Right. Obviously. So yeah. Uh, yeah. That was a dangling thread. 
But yeah, Jimbo, you and I got to quit having long text messages for these dangling <laughs> threads of interest because we're giving, we're giving away that gold, man. We're giving away that podcast gold. No, I like to be prepared when I speak about something on record that goes on internet forever. All right, all right, all right. Okay. Um, so I have one more dangling thread, and this is just maybe an opinion piece. Handmaid's Tale is a little bit controversial in terms of the second season because the book doesn't have a second season. Like the book has a definitive ending um, with even like an epilogue and a postscript. So I want to ask you guys, like, what are your thoughts on continuing a fictional work without the original author? Like Star Wars is a good example. Handmaid's Tale is one. Watchmen is actually being optioned for everything on TV is a perfect example. Well, Jimbo, I kind of feel like from your tone, (laughs) I see how you feel, but elaborate, please. No, I, I mean, it's just a giant scheme to make large amounts of money. You don't want to end a good story because you could make a lot more money off it if you drag it out and make it shitty until you've milked every dime out of it. Handmaid's Tale hasn't gotten shitty, in my opinion. Uh, so I I think you guys have made it far enough. I've I've seen random episodes of season two, and it's just become a cyclical plot to me. She escapes and gets caught, and now she's going to escape again at some point. It's going to be just this endless cycle until they finally get canned and they have to finish wrap it up in one season i'm kind of mega satisfied with the ending of the book that's why i'm scared to like watch the first season just because like when i heard there was a second one i was like oh because it's kind of similar to there were rumors that end of the effing world was going to get a second season yes and i was like i don't want that to happen yeah it, it, it would not make for a good second season story's over how does the book end again someone told me before but i forgot um jimbo you want to take your buds out no, go for it, man. I don't care. It's a mega ambiguous ending where, like, the driver is either um, an agent for the eyes or he's an agent for the resistance, but she gets hustled out, and we never even find which. And, like... Oh, you don't know if he's an eye or a, good, a rebel? Oh. No, you don't. And it just ends. And then there's this weird postscript where, like, academics... She's with him, like, driving off? She, yeah, she's pulled into a van, and he's like, trust me. And that's the last you see her. I like that ending. It's it's a great ending. It's a really good ending. And then there's this crazy postscript of like two academics like presenting about The Handmaid's Tale because apparently the whole thing is told through an interrogation tape that's uncovered somewhere. And it's unclear as to whether the interrogation tape was from the eyes or the rebels. Some, somewhere I read that like um, the last four words of 1984 are disturbing. And so I, I just picked up 1984 and read like the last four words. But what are they? And so the last four words in the appendix are news speak is spoken all over the world. And I was like, I guess that's horrific. <laughs> but like the actual last four words are I love Big Brother. Oh, um, oh yeah. So it's kind of like I imagine some people being like the last page of Handmaid's Tale is horrific. And then these kids are like reading like the appendix that's like make it seem like an academic journal. <laughs> right. That was going to be my petardar, but fuck it. It's in this <laughs> story nail saying the threads. Interesting. I mean, I like a good story. I don't like long, drawn-out stories, so. But you have to just, you can't compare a book, the intention of a book, and then the intention of a of a series. I mean, you can, but I mean, I mean, I get the difference. Some books are series. Yeah, but they almost always go off script, and they almost always get embellished, and it's rare that a series adapted from a book is stays true to the book. That's really rare. Like the pilot of Dex, like the pilot of Dexter is right on with the book, but then of course it it di- diverges very quickly. What I would push back on that is I feel like what we're criticizing is like the commercial, 
yes, of course, longevity of shows. But I would say that, like, there's books where, like, it's a series. Like, The Wheel of Time sucks. Sorry, Mark Goldfarb, if you're a listener, but The Wheel of Time <laughs> sucks. Like, it doesn't need to be 13 books. Yeah, I've never, I've never gotten into any of those book series. I can't even... I think the Hunger Games, the Hunger Games is the only one that, and that's three. And I thought it was too long and drawn out. Like even that, I wasn't, I wasn't satisfied. I always like rip on kids and they're telling me how awesome like Catching Fire is. I'm like, oh, you mean the one where like she goes in the Hunger Games and has to fight the yeah. other kids <laughs> and she barely gets out because in the end there's like a twist and they're like, whatever, Mister. I like those books. I mean, they're they're entertaining reads. I like the third book more than the second one. Yeah, same here. I thought the third one. Something happens. Okay, so Hoistlers, we're going to jump into our Pitardar. These are recommendations for listeners just based on the pilot viewing experience. And um, I'll I'll start things off because I think Jimbo thinks that I'm real hard on old Margaret Atwood. Yeah, you hate her. You you hate her guts. (laughs) She is currently writing a really cool um, uh, comic series called War Bears. Um, and it is a, it's trippy cause it's a comic within a comic because it's about, um, the comics that were being created in Canada at the end of world war two when women were the bosses and they were, I read about it today. I read the first 10 pages. Um, Oh, I heard Yeah. I heard about that probably a few months ago. I forgot to check it out though. So like women are the bosses, um, because, um, like the men are off at war um, but the war's ending, and they kind of know the comics are ending too. So it's a very interesting story um, about like a female writer with a female boss, and then there's a comic within a comic because you also like see the issues and ideas um, played out in the fictional story within the fictional story. And I, I love that. I love stories within stories. I also want to throw 1984 out there. I told that little story about like reading the ending. Um, I feel like Handmaid's Tale is similar in terms of gravitas, like 1984 is. And then also, if you're in New York and you want to go see the stage play, um, people are apparently vomiting at how horrific and graphic the ending is. So I really want to go see the play. Um, I I want to call out Night by Ellie Wiesel, just because I think that this show does a really good job talking about like everyday horror and like people who don't get the Holocaust or don't get like stories of like well, why didn't they fight back and all this stuff like. Like, that's a really good primer for, like, human misery and, like, what it actually looks like in real life. And then finally, um, I want to link to, like, that Michelle Wolf Sarah Sanders joke about um, Handmaid's Tale, where, like, oh. it's funnier, like, months later, too. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember that one? She's not Lydia. She calls her Aunt Lydia. <laughs> well, yeah, because she was like, so Uncle Tom is the name that, like, you give to, like, black people that, like, betray the race. And they're like what would you call like a white woman who just betrays like other women? Oh yeah. Sarah Sanders is an aunt Lydia. <laughs> and I was like, that's pretty fucking funny. Uh, yeah, Like tall, just tall, big, broad ladies, a press secretary. She's got to throw elbows, but yeah, she throws quite a few elbows. I bet she wishes she had a taser for those <laughs> press conferences. Make it a lot easier. She would make a great aunt Lydia. If things get so far. All right, Jimbo, what you got? I got a book. Uh, it's called Nothing to Envy. It's about North Korea. It follows a handful of of North Korean defectors that have either gone through China or South Korea. It's like real life 1984. The North Korean government just read that book and implemented all those strategies. The whole <laughs> having hidden police and secret police and never knowing whether your neighbors are going to rat you out and you're going to be arrested for like 
any and everything and just really struggling. And it's a, it's a super engaging book. Watch you, Mo. Since this is a dystopian show, I thought of Brave New World by Aldous Huxley, I think. That's a good one. And since we brought up Bad Feminists, the whole idea of Bad Feminism, I first read about in Roxane Gay's book called Bad Feminist. Um, that's a really great book, and she's a really wonderful writer and makes makes you feel better about times when you feel like a bad feminist or feel like an Aunt Lydia. <laughs> Because it is human, and I that's why I appreciated what Margot Adwell was trying to say, but she just didn't do it as well as Roxane Gay does in this book. Yeah, the, that article is not her best writing. All right, so Jimbo, you said that the last part's not going to be as fun as it usually is. Do you have something to tell us about? I have one question prepared. <gasps> Sudden death. To do or die situation. Mo, Mo, are you ready to put your number one contendership on the line? Yeah. So, Hoisters, normally we have a five-question petard trivia. Today, we're doing sudden death, do or die, one-question petard trivia for the number one contender. Take it on, Jacob. Yep. And so, Drew's buzzer's going to go like this. Ding-a-ling-a-ling-a-ling! And Moe's buzzer's going to go like this. Blessed be the fruit. Nice. That's a great <laughs> nice. one. That one's better. <laughs> A hoister is going to get a point for this question if I have to eventually go to true or false. So we will keep keep peeling away until we have a winner. Okay. So this is a not multiple choice. This is just a straight answer. I'm given a question, okay? It's going to be somewhere between beach ball and dissertation. So be prepared for anything in, in between there, okay? <laughs> okay? I'm ready. When June and Off Glen are walking <laughs> along the river... There are three people hung by the river. Who were Let's they? Must be the fruit. Mo, he's going to be the first to answer. Yes, Mo. A priest, a doctor, and a gay man. And then she says, and then she says, I think I heard this in a joke once. You know what? But I'm going to give Mo a bonus it. point because that's exactly <laughs> what she said. So Mo's going to win this one yeah. two nothing, and she's holding on to their number one contender. <laughs> there you go. There you go. There you go. We, we talked about that shit right before you jumped on. <laughs> and actually, I had it wrong. Mo got it right right beforehand. So she deserves it. Okay, cool. All right. I mean, it was meant to be. Meant to be. I guess I could have come up with a couple other ones, like, right off right off the spot. But whatever. I mean, you can. I'm willing to put my first place position on. Oh. <laughs> Just kidding. Snap. We, Take we your win, Mo. Come do. on. Don't get too, okay, okay, okay. too cocky yet. Get cocky once you have the belt around around your waist. Okay, right, 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 right. Okay. Yeah. And honest, John, send us that belt. <laughs> I, you know, we ch- I checked my mail today. Drew, did you check your mail today? I check my mail every day. I'm an adult. I actually lied. I didn't check my mail today, but I'm gonna check it tomorrow morning. John, it better be there. <laughs> All right, and hoisters. If you can't tell by the plugs I'm about to read, the show is officially over. But if you love us as much as we love us, we're gonna stick around for only a few more minutes, hopefully. Next week, we are tackling Pose, with or without a guest, hopefully with a guest. Our official opening and closing music was mixed by Jake Drew. You can contact him. There's a link in the show notes, and he can produce some music for you. As always, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram. You can join our Facebook group, and please follow our website so you can participate in the pre-recording discussions and continue any of the discussions that we are having today. Go to the website, comment. We will engage. We want to continue these these talks. Get in there, Zero. Uh, in addition, we are featured on the But Why Though podcast um, website. 
but why the podcast.com. Uh, you can also find my movie reviews there. I just wrote one on Constantine. Jimbo put it on Reddit and he said he liked it. It will be in the show notes as well. And you can follow and you can follow my Twitter. If you have a Twitter and you haven't yet, go onto your Twitter account and add at Jimbo Gup because I use Twitter to try and get some guests. And if I have some more followers, I can get us some higher quality guests. So help me help you. Gonna plug anything, Mo? No. Just Mo. Just, just Mo being awesome. Just here. And if anyone is hiring a young, beautiful, smart public health care official yeah um contact mo or if you want to just revamp my cv at no cost yeah or that and and zero mo did you check your mail today no mo did you check your mail zero zero send something mo is waiting for for her (laughs) gift okay um hoister's choice (laughs) all right man uh so yeah we're in we're in the uh we're in the shop talk and fafoka was talked about at the beginning of the show an it? hour and a half ago. What? Did I miss it? Our our mutual our mutual Just friend Timber Forest Timber. All right, you can call him Forest. Oh him Timber. right. Oh yeah, he's on. He has a Facebook okay. girlfriend. Yeah, that's big. Yep. How old's How old's old Forest? He's a year. He's a couple of years younger than. He's twenty nine. He's twenty nine. He's twenty nine. Twenty nine going on five. <laughs> Oh. JK Timber Forest oh. JK. Timber. JK But I, wonder, I mean I think Timber listens occasionally. He I does. feel like that's a big deal, but also makes me wonder if his girlfriend is just a psycho and it forced him to put it, put his status as relationship. That could be part of it. And if, if <laughs> hopefully she's not listening. <laughs> but I feel like Forrest would definitely be okay. Like Forrest would get pressured into that pretty easily. Yeah, 100%. He gives it to pussy so quickly. <laughs> I mean, do people give a shit about Facebook anymore? Like, I feel like the young people have abandoned Facebook. So, like, the correct answer is Facebook. yes. Well, that's why I think it might be driven by some really immature sentiment. But, oh, you know, so you Forrest, let us know. The kids do give a shit about Facebook. Yeah, Timber, re- Timber, reach kids out. Don't, kids don't care about Facebook. No, if you they ask don't. a kid, they say Facebook's for old people, and they mean, like, anyone over 28. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. It's all about the gram. Oh yeah, no Snapchat. Oh no, do people <laughs> leave Snapchat? I deleted it. Yeah, people left Snapchat. Okay, I deleted it. Did your students leave Snapchat yet, Drew? Uh, no. But the funny thing is, um, our 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 dean of culture, like our um, what is it, punishment guy? What he does is, if he confiscates someone's phone, he'll open up their Snapchat and he'll see like what other kids are using Snapchat, like during the school day because these kids are dumb they take pictures during class and send it to each other and so you can see who's like opened up snapchat and like who's done these things because i don't actually have it so i don't know how he does this but apparently he'll like sweep up like four or five phones because one kid is being an idiot and then when he opens up their snapchat app he can see who else is sending snaps like Mm. during class time and then he just walks into those rooms he's like give me your phone yeah smart i like that that's pretty funny yeah i'm like kids are dumb but I was like, no one's no like, why are you staring at your crotch like that? Like, is that what normal people do? Do normal people just like look down and like poke and shit? Like I tried yeah, to tell a kid that I was like, I know I was like standing in the front of the class today. And I was like, put your phone on top of your notebook underneath your desk. And if I see that again, I'll take it. And that kid had the good goddamn sense to like not make a fuss to remove the phone from underneath his crotch and to put it on the notebook. Oh, I mean, yeah. also also bleep that kid's name out. Good for you. Also, just 
if kids have a hard time doing it, full-blown adults have a hard time not texting when they're drive they're driving. Yeah. Every person on the road that is on their phone while they're driving is very obviously on their phone. Yeah, definitely. I think I texted Drew a couple times when I was driving home today. <laughs> Don't do it. It's hard. It's so hard. Yeah, I got a podcast to run. Also, wait, can we... I want to restructure some of these parts. Okay. Oh, do you want to bring up the MVP going into, like, part two? I think the MVP should just be, like, the... It should be part two. No, just state your MVP and, and, and we move on. The first part should not be long. We don't have to elaborate. Okay, and I also think we should introduce ourselves much earlier in the beginning. That makes sense. Okay, let's move that. That's that's good. I think it's a better flow. They don't need to hear us be like, we'll talk about it later. We'll talk about it later. No, that's a good point. Right? I like your impression of us, Mo. We'll, we'll talk, talk about, about it later. later. <laughs> like, when Mo's like making fun of us And I'm just like festering it. Like, can we just talk you about you it? like Mo's impression of me because I'm the only one that, that says that? <laughs> I think it was kind of a generic dude bro accent. But haven't we been criticized for doing that? Feedback though. Mo, okay, quote, Mo was awesome. I connected with her the most. And this is from a guy. And then they oh, they, lay, they later on go to say, um, I think you missed an important opportunity when discussing sex workers. You have a woman in your cast. Her opinion is worth, all caps, way more than a couple of dudes. <laughs> she should have led the conversation. So the people, the All people right. want you, Mo. Yeah, they right. don't want man. There's when did we talk about sex workers? That was Firefly, Firefly. episode. Yeah. Oh right, right, right. We made fun of that show a lot. We did. It's a bad show. It was just we roasted it hard. Mo, there's a tweet I saw where it was just like it was like attention. It was like if you co-host a podcast with a female podcaster, male co-hosts, let her finish her sentences. <laughs> This is a training exercise for you all. It's hard. I definitely cut Mo when off you reinforce your whole life to mansplain. Right it, you're positively you're like rewarded for doing that in like classrooms. I'm sure Drew, you don't do that in your classroom. I like to call on a lot of people. Why is my favorite question? Why? Yeah, because kids are like, because the thing. I'm like, why? And it, it like sets them back because I'm like, keep talking. Don't fuck <laughs> with me like that. <laughs> That's good. Oh, okay, I'm, I'm glad. I'll, I'll speak up more. Yeah, Mo, get in there. Throw some elbows. I just don't like study. I don't study before. I like to wing it. Yeah, that works okay for parts one and two. Um. <laughs> <laughs> or if you guys give me a minute, I'll like, you know, it can be active. And apparently cooling. it works pretty good for part four. <laughs> She's on a hot streak, dude. She's won three in a row. Hey, we got to wrap this up. You guys got anything else? Every day I'm hoistling. Drew out. Every day we hoistling, Jimbo out. Every day we hoistling, Mo out. <laughs>